The Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and uh, reading verses 1 to 17, and that's uh, found on pages 77 and 78 of the Church Bible. But before we read together, let's commend this time to the Lord our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, the creator of the world and the saviour of your people. The words that we will hear today were spoken amongst lightning and thunder and the mountain smoking and the sound of the trumpet and the people were afeared. Heavenly Father, when we listen to these words, may we be in godly awe and fear of your reverence, of your majesty, of your splendor. And Heavenly Father, may we take them more seriously today than we have ever taken them before. Cover us with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am unworthy to speak these words that were spoken by you. And we are unworthy to hear them because we have constantly forgotten them. The Lord Jesus Christ interpreted them to us. And we dismiss that. Forgive us, O Lord. Cover us all with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we listen afresh and take these deep into our heart. In Jesus' precious name. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, 
The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from the New Testament from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the first chapter beginning at verse 18, which is on page 1144 of the Pew Bibles. Hear God's word. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the power of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. When we commit our lives to God, we trust that God is going to guide us. Especially when we're faced with important decisions, we ask ourselves, what is God leading me to do? I'm in love with this person. Is this the one whom God is calling me to marry? I've been offered a job opportunity that involves relocation. Is this the way God wants me to pursue my vocation? What does God want our church to be and do? Which missions is God calling us to support? Sometimes it's clear what God wants us to do. I was a great example of how IPC was led to support the Sean people. 
Other times, it's hard to know what God is guiding us to do. And it's especially hard when people of faith perceive God leading us in different, sometimes opposing ways. Fifteen years ago, when the world was still reeling after the September 11th terrorist attacks, the United States was wrestling with whether or not to invade Iraq in retaliation. Prior to the war, President Bush prayed daily, read the Bible, and entrusted his decision to God that he would make the right one. At the same time, the Pope sent an envoy to him asking that uh, the president not go to war. And leaders of many Protestant denominations, including my own, pleaded with him to keep working for a diplomatic solution. In the congregation I was serving at the time, some members thought that the president of the United States made the right decision by going to war. Others were adamantly against it, and all of them could justify their opinion by citing chapter and verse. So what's the point of asking God's guidance if some are going to get one answer and some are going to get another Wouldn't it make our witness to Christ a lot more powerful if all Christians could just agree? Now, I've got a simple solution. If everyone would just agree with me, everything would be perfect. But since that's not going to happen, how do people of faith know what God is guiding us to do. Now, many of the choices we face probably don't have a right or a wrong answer. I don't think it really matters to God if for lunch today I have a cheese sandwich or a ham sandwich. Some decisions are just matters of preference. But for weightier matters... God created the world so that what's right and what's wrong should be obvious. The first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans says, For what can be known about God is plain. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things God has made. God gave us perception and reason and intelligence so that we can think and understand. We were made with the capacity to figure out what is right and to do it. But we're imperfect creatures. And our ability to think clearly and correctly suffers from that imperfection. So in order to help us when our reason and intelligence and sort of native ability to discern right from wrong, when all that falls short, God gave us the law, summarized in the Ten Commandments, which we just read. God gave us that law to guide us in God's ways. So 
there is no excuse for not knowing what God wants us to do in our relationships with God and with other people because we have the law to guide us and direct us. But we have this innate tendency to twist God's law so that it serves our own ends. Just look at that first commandment. You shall have no other gods before you. From the time God gave that commandment, people have responded, yes, but. Once the Israelites got into the land which God had promised them, they noticed that the Canaanites, who were there before them, worshipped other gods, gods that promised them good harvests and fertile fields. Now, God had promised those things to the Israelites, but the Canaanites, who worshipped gods like Astarte and Baal, they didn't seem to be doing so badly. So the Israelites decided the smart thing to do would be to hedge their bets. They still worshipped God, who gave them these commandments on that mountain, But just to be sure they weren't overlooking anything, they also worshipped the Canaanite gods. It seemed the logical thing to do, in spite of the first commandment. Each of us can recall how we have used our reason and intelligence to get around the commandments. The fourth commandment tells us to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But you know, you can get an awful lot done on Sunday. It's a great day to catch up on work at the office or chores around the house. Going to church or spending some extra time in prayer or Bible study or just relaxing, enjoying this world God made and realizing that it can get by perfectly fine without you for a day, that seems like an inefficient use of time, especially for those of us who are driven and like to work hard. Or how about the ninth commandment? You shall not bear false witness. Who among us has not been able to justify those times that we've been less than truthful? Anytime we've bent the truth, there's usually been a reason. When your neighbor asks what you think of their new hairdo, telling the unvarnished truth might not be worth the consequences, right? I mean, that's a small thing. But if the boss thinks that costly mistake I made is the fault of my coworker whom I really don't like, then why should I suffer the consequences? Oh, yeah, I may have done something wrong, but if I can get by with it this time, I won't do it again. I promise. We know right from wrong. God has made it clear what God expects of us. But that power, which the Bible calls sin, causes us to use those very gifts of reason and intellect and perception to twist our way out of what God wants us to do. 
that is why the message of the cross sounds so absolutely foolish to our rational minds. Our rational minds tell us that the way to overcome evil is with evil. By drawing on that same power that evil uses to harm us. If people say bad things about me in school, then the way to deal with it is for me to say even worse things about them. After the last school shooting, one of the remedies that's being put forth for the epidemic of gun violence that's plaguing the United States is the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. We human beings can make the case for almost anything that will support our way of looking at the world, a perspective where we are at the center and what matters most is our own good. God's way is different. That's the way of love. God's way affirms each and every one of us as important, but calls us out of ourselves to find our deepest purpose in what God is doing for the whole creation, the work of love that Jesus does from the cross. This is what is so foolish to the world. God, in order to conquer the power of evil and sin that separates us from God and one another, comes to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is completely God, one with the almighty power that made the universe. At the same time, Jesus is completely human, sharing all our human frailties except sin. After doing miracles to show that he is from God and teaching how God gave the law because God loves us and wants the best for us, Jesus was arrested for breaking God's law by doing things like healing on the Sabbath and welcoming those who were considered unworthy of welcome by those who considered themselves good. He was tried as a traitor and a blasphemer and executed as a criminal. And not only was he executed, he was killed in a way designed to cause the most shame and humiliation by being nailed in public on a cross. He took our sins completely on himself and emptied himself of all that glory he shared with the Father at creation in order to put to death that self-centeredness that separates us from God. For three days, his corpse lay in the tomb, cold and lifeless. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. In raising Jesus, God claimed victory over sin and death. And Jesus ascended into heaven, where now he reigns over all creation with love and justice. Our lives, the future of the universe are all in his hands and he is working his purpose until the time when he comes again in glory to establish his rule over creation. Now, according to human wisdom, that makes absolutely 
no sense. The way you conquer evil is by meeting force with force. According to human wisdom, you stand up for yourself and you don't give in to anyone. According to human wisdom, you trust your own strength and instinct because if you don't, well, if you don't, you'll get crucified. But how else is God going to get around our ingenious ways to avoid God's guidance unless God does something that appears so outrageous by our standards that it's impossible to rationalize it and make excuses for it. The cross shows us how powerfully deceptive our sin is. It shows us that contrary to all human reason, The most powerful force in the universe is the force of self-emptying love. The cross transforms us through that love so that we understand and follow God's law in the spirit it was given. A spirit of love and humility. I recently read an example of how Uh, a church wrestled with that question of what God wants them to do for decades and just recently came to a conclusion about where they were being led. Back in November, the Presbyterian Church of East Africa approved the ordination of women as ministers of the gospel. As I said, they had debated and prayed about the issue for decades On the one hand, there are straightforward statements in the New Testament that instruct women to submit to men in church and not to speak in the context of worship. On the other hand, there are examples of women taking important roles in the work of Jesus. Women of means supported him in his ministry in Palestine. And the very first person to testify to his resurrection was a woman. At the heart of the gospel is this inclusion of all people into the work of Christ. Paul said in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. It's through that perspective, that prism of the cross and the gospel that we understand the law which God gives us. So after many years of prayerful discernment, the Presbyterian Church of East Africa heard God guiding them to accept the gifts for ministry, which the Holy Spirit had given some of many of the women in its midst, some of whom have preached some of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard. The cross makes us ask ourselves hard questions about our certainties. The cross shows us how to read scripture and how to pray from the perspective of the one who overcame hatred with love, evil with goodness, pride with humility. It lets us receive God's commandments not as rules to keep us in line in little boxes, but as gifts that guide us in ways of love and humility So we respect and honor 
those who hear God's guidance differently from us. The cross shows us that God's way is the way of giving and sacrifice. God gives us the law, and from the cross, Jesus shows us how to live it. That's how God guides us from the cross where we see how the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. To God be all power, glory, and honor now and forever. Amen.